Good morning, everyone. Our reading today comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. It's a great uh, privilege to begin our eight-week series looking at this wonderful letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, reminding them to live lives worthy of the gospel. And it is a genuinely wonderful and encouraging letter. It's an easy letter to read. It doesn't take particularly long. And it helps us as a church at St. Jude reflect on what we should be as a church as we seek to live lives worthy of the gospel. In the letter, Paul reflects on some big themes, uh, unity in Christ, what that means, the joy and the fellowship of being God's people and all the blessings that flow from that. And my hope and prayer is that as we look at this together, we'll be shaped by these words. We'll grow closer in our knowledge and love of God and of each other. So let's look at this letter together. We're going to start at verse 1, unusual place to start. We read that it's Paul and Timothy, servants, or literally slaves actually, of Jesus Christ. Now this letter is written uh, while Paul was in prison. Uh, We're not entirely sure, but most likely in Rome, uh, somewhere around 60 to 62 AD. And notice that he writes to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, together with the church leadership. He doesn't say the word church, he just actually says the word God's holy people, which is another way of saying church, by the emphasis on that word holy. Holy, by the way, means not that you're a special class of Christian or, or a bishop, It means to be dedicated or set apart particularly for the service of God. And there's a quick reminder here, of course, holiness, by the way, is not do it yourself. 
we are not able to make ourselves holy. It is God's work through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And Paul writes to this town of Philippi, which has a quite a long history, actually. It was founded uh, way back when Philip II of Macedon, not of Mount Macedon in Melbourne, by the way, uh, of the, the place it's named after, who was the father of Alexander the Great, a very humble man, uh, who annexed the whole region in around about 350 BC. And in an act of uh, humility, he named the city after himself. Uh, the Romans conquered Macedonia around 168 to 167 BC, and in about 42 BC, uh, established Philippi as a Roman colony, particularly for soldiers. And it became a kind of mini Rome. Everything that Rome was doing, Philippi wanted to do. And so they dressed like Romans, had Roman culture, Roman law. It was a bit of Rome that had been placed up in Macedonia. And if you read through, through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, we read that Paul actually came to Philippi to bring the gospel. Uh, during his second missionary journey, somewhere between kind of 49 to 52 AD. And it's, it's during this time we have some wonderful stories in Scripture where, where he meets Lydia, that wonderful businesswoman of the purple cloth fame, uh, fame uh, who was worshipping God without other women just outside the city. Uh, and Lydia welcomes Paul's message of the gospel. And she's baptised along with her household and invites these missionaries into her home uh, and so begins this little church. Uh, in Acts 16, we also read uh, where Paul actually gets thrown with Silas into jail when they're flogged uh, for freeing a slave girl of an evil spirit. And it has this wonderful story where at midnight they're singing hymns and praise to God and there's an earthquake, which we in Melbourne can now relate to. Uh, but at this time, it was quite a serious earthquake the doors flung, are flung open and miraculously the jailer is converted and baptised that very night and then Paul and Silas get thrown out of town for their troubles. And all in all, it's been an adventurous start and Paul leaves behind this fledgling church which involves a very successful businesswoman, a former slave and the very jailer who'd imprisoned them for preaching the gospel. It's an amazing story of God's grace. And so Paul writes to this church uh, years on, and he shares with them a really deep and joyful affection for them. I wonder if you notice that as we read those opening verses. He cannot help but share just the love and passion he has for them. And he encouraged them, these people in Philippi, to keep at the center of their church the thing that should actually be at the centre of each and every church. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at these opening verses 1 to 11, we'll see that Paul firstly commends them for their gospel-centred partnership. Their gospel-centred partnership. Secondly, he encourages them with gospel-centred passion. And thirdly, he prays for them a gospel-centered prayer. So let's look at these three things one after the other. Firstly, we see the gospel-centered partnership, particularly in verses 3 to 6. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
all times, all prayers, all of you, all the time, all joy. In the original language, it's even stronger. There's a repetition of that word all. Well, why is Paul so joyful and so happy? Well, it's in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, that word partnership there is often translated as the word fellowship, which we as Christians use that word all the time. We have fellowship after church, fellowship during Bible study. And generally what it means is, in our culture anyway, uh, tea or coffee with a Christian and maybe a biscuit, right? We had fellowship. Now, if we have tea and coffee and a biscuit with a friend from work, that's not fellowship. It has to involve Christians, right? It's the act of imbibing a caffeinated drink and a stale biscuit with a Christian. But friends, that's that's really not what the word means. In its original context, it's far closer to a business relationship than a cup of tea with a dear friend. The word partnership there reflects something that you would invest your life and your money and your time in. Don Carson says it's much closer to a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. And we notice that this shared vision is a partnership in the gospel to proclaim the good news that Jesus is Saviour and Lord. That's what this partnership is in. And we read later on in Philippians in 4.15 that they are all in. Paul writes, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. They got on board with gospel mission. And it's a true partnership of sharing and giving and receiving and supporting. And we see it's crucial because Partnering in the gospel is not just how Christians proclaim Christ to those who do not know him yet. That wonderful, that wonderful call to tell the nations about Christ. But it's also how Christians mature. By partnering in the gospel. You see in verse 6, he says, Being confident of this, that is their partnership in the gospel, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. See, the good work that God has commenced in these people in Philippi is that work of grace that began when they first heard the gospel and believed. And it's that work of grace that is continuing to be at work at these people in Philippi to grow them in their knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus as they seek to serve and partner with Paul. And so partnering the gospel does not just proclaim Christ, it grows followers of Jesus by growing their assurance of their salvation, confident in his work, not our own. And partnering the gospel grows followers of Jesus by maturing them, by helping them become more like the one they serve until Jesus returns. And so, friends, the call for us is like this wonderful church in Philippi. We too are called 
to be partners in the gospel. Not just involved, not just a cup of tea. Well, cup of teas are great, by the way. I'm not against a cup of teas and coffee. But, but it's got to be more than that, to be invested. Now, one of my great joys uh, when I have a quiet kind of Saturday morning after a bike ride is to enjoy a bacon and egg roll. It was a few nods there. You know that in the morning where the bacon's and the egg's just that little bit runny. Now, the chicken is involved, but the pig is invested. Total is all in. We're not called to be chickens in partnership. There's a strange thing to say. I want you all to be pigs. Please take that in the intent it's meant to be. In other words, to be all in as partners in the gospel. See, we don't, we don't come to church as an audience to receive, to be consumers. That is not the call for the Christian church. Nor are we called just, just, just to be involved in the church like an employee. No, we are called to be deeply committed as partners, as something we belong to. We don't go to church, we are the church. Therefore, we partner in the ministry of the church. And so let me offer three ways that we as a church can practically partner in the gospel. Firstly, Partnering the gospel means investing in people. Investing in people. Now, we are a church that has a continued flow of newcomers and visitors. And if this, this morning is, is your first time, can I say, as I said, we are delighted that you're here. We really hope that you see something of Jesus and are warmly welcomed. And I think people generally are, generally, welcomed well. And we have a good sense of community here. But there is a danger that we tend to hang perhaps just with the people we know. Our kind of Sunday posse. I know it's been hard because you've been online, but we've kind of, you know, do you have your favourite seat where you always sit in? With your same friends every week. Now we need to invest in inviting people to come to church and to share the gospel and to share ourselves with them. And we, as Alex had mentioned, are running a Christianity Explored course later this month. Uh, that is a fantastic way to invest in people, to share with them the wonderful truths about Jesus. But it doesn't just end there. We can also just, as a culture, be people who speak to those perhaps we haven't met yet. Invest in them as people. Secondly, partnership means investing our time. And uh, culturally, of course, we are very time poor people. Although I think there's an element in this in which uh, it's not so much being time poor as option rich. So many things are available to us, we are extremely privileged. It's not, what's, it's not my kids are playing sport, it's my kids are playing 58 sports available to them. 
And there are so many choices available to us on how we spend our time. And I realize that if you do have kids like me, this is a big challenge. And so we need to be committed with our time to coming and being at church, to being at Bible study, to coming to prayer meeting. Can I encourage you to come to our prayer meeting tomorrow? You can say, yes, but I'm busy. You say, yes, I know. But serving each other costs time. Let's invest our time in the partnership of the gospel. And I think this is a particular challenge in our culture. Thirdly, partnership means investing our money and resources. Now, God knows your heart. Uh, He knows your ability to give. And God's desire as we partner in the gospel is that you, like Paul, give joyfully. Joyfully and generously. Doesn't matter if you're earning squillions, be joyful and generous. Doesn't matter if you're struggling, be joyful and generous. Your financial partnership in the gospel at St. Jude, you see, doesn't just support the mission that happens in this congregation. It also supports gospel work, for example, in our uni church congregation. It supports gospel work on the 3,000 people who live in those housing estates. It assists our global mission partners in the gospel who work Australia and overseas, our 19 individual global mission partner groups. Those missions, those gospel partnerships would not function if it were not for the generosity of people, particularly at Carlton 10. It is your partnership in the gospel which allows these great ministries to continue. So let me encourage you. It is a great encouragement to see those ministries being able to flourish because of the gospel generosity of people here. Let us us continue to strive to be a church committed to partnering in the gospel. Secondly, we see that Paul encourages them with a gospel-centered passion. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says here, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, what I really love about Paul's gospel partnership with the Philippian church is it's, it's not some cold business-like partnership. It hasn't been drawn up by lawyers. Now, I love lawyers. We've got many lawyers at church. But this is not a legal language partnership, isn't it? It's it's a partnership of love and affection. Can you imagine if we wrote legal contracts with this kind of language? Be a little awkward, right? I have you in my heart. How I long to be with all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Literally, I yearn for you in, in my bowels for Christ Jesus. As you're selling a house next time, put that in the settlement document and see how it goes. In other words, it's almost, it feels almost closer to a marriage vow, doesn't it? 
It's about people that Paul has a gospel passion for. His love for the Lord Jesus and these people flows out in his desire to encourage them. Because it says there, all of you share in God's grace with me. That's the reason why. All of you share in God's grace with me. And that little word share is that same word as fellowship or partnership. And so Paul cherishes them because he knows that whether he's in prison or on trial for the gospel, they are partners in God's grace. They've received the same gift of life as he has from God. In other words, the joy of fellowship, of partnership, is is not circumstanced by Christ. When you share in grace, you share in joy. When you share in grace, you share in joy. And so Paul encourages them with this gospel passion. And I, I think Paul's words here are a wonderful encouragement. Have you lost your joy of being with God's people? Now, maybe because of being online for so long, it's kind of become novel again, right? Oh, I forgot what it's like to be in church with real people. Sure, the masks are annoying, but at least they're real people. But does the novelty wear off and it become a bit of a drag and they're those awkward people, you know, the staff, and, you know, it, it gets tough and... Perhaps you've forgotten that you share the most amazing gift with these people. So yet, St. Jude's friends, we are blessed with people uh, as um, Brian noticed as well, all different backgrounds, ages and stages of life. People that you may, in every other aspect of life, share nothing in common with, except the most important thing. We all share God's grace together. And that should lift your heart with joy as we seek to encourage each other and spur each other on to follow Christ. Well, third, we see that Paul prays for them a gospel-centred prayer in verses 9 to 11. And he begins in verse 9 by praying that their love may abound more and more Now, by the way, Paul is not saying that the Philippians have no love and that they're a bunch of loveless scumbags. No, he's saying that their love for God and each other, that it should increase, that it should overflow. In other words, it's to be love without a limit. There's no max limit. You can't redline love. And although their love is without limit, notice it's not without purpose. Love is not restricted, but love is directed. He says that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, friends, knowledge and love work, work together. In the way, same way a boat needs an engine and a rudder. Love is like the engine. It gives it the oomph. See, friends, you can have all the knowledge in the world. But if you have no love, it's like a ship with a great rudder and the best GPS in the world, but no engine. It's not going anywhere. 
And as Paul says in another letter in 1 Corinthians, you're like a clashing gong. As a drummer, I find that a bit offensive, but I understand what Paul's getting at. And if you're filled with a love and passion to serve God and his people, but you, you have no wisdom or insight on how to, how, how to do that well, you've got a fantastic engine, but you're like an out-of-control hovercraft. There's no direction or purpose in your love. And by the way, the knowledge and insight that Paul speaks about here is not just general knowledge. You're not praying that you will now be able to solve a wordle in fewer than three goes. Because I know that's what we want to do, right? I've seen it on Facebook. Now it's the knowledge particularly about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word that Paul uses is always about the knowledge of God, not general knowledge. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If you want to love God more, learn more about how to love him. If I want to grow in my love for my wife, it is crucial that I understand what pleases her. Now I love my, life, uh, my wife dearly. But what I've learned is that leaving my clothes on the floor is not an act of love. I've learned that through knowledge and depth of insight. <laughs> Let the reader understand. And so friends, if you want to grow in your love of God, you must grow in your understanding of what pleases him. Not, not speculation, what pleases him. In other words, to grow in your love of God is to seek to do his will. Which, of course, is why reading his word, the scriptures, is utterly vital in us loving God. And reading the scripture and reading the word is utterly vital in, in us loving each other. It gives us knowledge and insight. And just as the knowledge of God and his word serves as an incentive to Christian love, so love is necessary for a deepening knowledge of God. The two things work together. And the goal of this love and knowledge is in verse 10. So that you may, may, uh, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so we are to pursue what is best in the knowledge of God. We are to pursue what is best in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. What is best in joyful obedience so that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, by the way, Paul's prayer here is not a prayer for sinless perfectionism. It's a prayer that we, like the Philippians, would live with gospel priorities. In other words, be able to discern what is best. Because all of us want what is best. We, we want what is best for our lives, we want what's best for our careers, we want what's best for our kids, we want what's best for our study, what's best for justice, what's best for our environment, what's best for our culture, what's best for our city, what's... We want what's best. And Paul's reminding us here, look, friends, what is best for your career is that you love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is best for your study is that you love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what's best for your marriage, if you are married, is that you love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's best for your kids is that you teach them to, you guessed it, love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, to have gospel priorities gives us a lens to see everything else. To have a worldview that seeks what is best based on the insight and wisdom from God's word. And what's the result? The result is in verse 11. All of this is to the glory and praise of God. See, friends, by seeking to be a church that partners in the gospel and by seeking to be a church that serves with gospel-centered passion and to seeking to be a church that prays gospel-centered prayers, we are doing so to bring glory to the God who has redeemed us and the God who loves us. And so, friends, let me pray that as a church, we will be partners in the gospel, that we will serve with gospel-centered passion, and we will continue to pray gospel-centered prayers. Heavenly Father, as we seek to partner in the gospel, may our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fill us with the fruit of righteousness, we pray, that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And may all of this be to your glory and praise. Amen.